Pascal Boyd plays the much-hated character of Linda Snell in The Archers on radio. You can hear some of the stories about the hate mail she received and how she got into acting in Private Passions on BBC Sounds. Today we hear her talking to Michael Barclay about some of the difficulties of caring for her husband, Patrick. An accomplished theatre actress, Carol Boyd, has recorded some 300 audiobooks, and she does all the female voices in Postman Pat. But all of this pales into insignificance when I remind you that Carol Boyd is Linda Snell. <laughs> More than five million Archers listeners have been listening to her as a snobbish but good-hearted Linda since she first arrived in Ambridge in 1986. Linda is, of course, the Archers theatre director, putting on mystery plays and pantos, musical shows, and Carol Boyd, too, is musical, creating words and music shows and recording the voice in William Walton's facade. She also works as a carer for her husband, Patrick, who had a major stroke in 2003. But we're going to move away from Ambridge to Scarborough because ah. I think it was when you were working there with Alan Akeborn yes. that you heard something that prompted this next choice. Yes, it's the Beatles. I I loved the Beatles. I was a huge Beatles fan. We all were. But I was working up in Scarborough back in the early 80s and um, it was summer and summer up that far north is wonderful you have wonderful long evenings that it gets dark much later and it gets light much earlier and I was tossing it only I couldn't sleep and I heard this I heard a bird singing and um, I got up went to the window dawn was breaking it was just beautiful and it was a blackbird so that experience, looking out of the window, listening to this bird, was so poignant and so truthful. Um, I've never forgotten it, and I just love this piece. Blackbird singing in the dead of night Take these broken wings and learn to fly All your life you were only waiting for this moment to arise. Paul McCartney with Blackbird, his 1968 song from the Beatles' White Album. I'm very struck, Carol, about how different your own voice is from your Archer's character. Uh, where did you get Linda Snell's voice from? My husband had a, a secretary at one time, many years ago, who was delightful, absolutely delightful, and she had this very distinctive voice, and she was rather like me. She tended to talk a lot, and she would phone <laughs> Patrick and say, Hello, it's me. <laughs> <laughs> and it was the, Hello, it's me... Um, and the, the warmth there, but also the texture of the voice, that I thought, I could develop this. I could develop this into something really irritating. From a musical point of view, uh, Carol, yes. uh, I noticed that when you want a little sharper sound, <laughs> the tessitura of your voice, as we say in the <laughs> musical world, rises a bit. Yes, it does, so doesn't just, it? Uh, 
<laughs> Sorry to interrupt, Michael, but I know just what you mean because, you know, I do have, per- well, almost perfect pitch. <laughs> I said at the opening, Carol, that as well as appearing in The Archers, you work as your husband Patrick's carer. How did that come about? Well, it, it was, uh, came out of the blue. Um, he had a massive stroke back in 2003, um, knocked out his complete left side, but he kept his voice and his personality. Uh, it was the mobility that was seriously affected, and that's how it has deteriorated now. But uh, he never lost the person he always is. His personality and his spirit and determination is what keeps us going a lot of the time. He's now in his 90s. He's 93. He'll be 93 in November, let's say. He calls himself 94. What what does your day like, the the pair of you? Tell us a little bit how your day unfolds and how you fit everything together. mm, All carers listening will understand what I'm about to say. I'm a home carer. I am not uh, a paid carer. I'm not a working carer in that sense. Um, this is mainly because we didn't want Patrick to go into a nursing home. Uh, he was sent home by the hospital to be looked after at home by social services and so on. That's been uh, a real challenge. It's hugely challenging. So he can't walk anymore. He can't stand anymore. So there are lots and lots of physical limitations. So there's a lot of apparatus. There's a standing hoist. And when he goes to bed at night, he goes into his bedroom and there's a ceiling hoist. But it's the emotional support that um, goes on. And the emotional effect of seeing somebody that you've known for 41 years, seeing the life change and and for both of us, um, and living with it and putting on a happy face all the time so that Patrick doesn't have to have to bear so much. It's a grief. It's a daily grief. You're grieving for a past life, the life you had before the stroke. And we talk about that. We both, we both feel the same. But it's going on. It's now almost 19 years. Well, it would be nice to have some music now, which reminds you of happy times yes. with Patrick. Yes, thank you. Yes, it's it's. Um, we had we used to go to France a lot on holiday, and we loved it. Uh, absolutely loved it. Patrick didn't care too much for the French because he doesn't speak French, nor do I. <laughs> I managed to scrabble by, but you know he actually did love going. And um, we got back from one particularly lovely time, and. Uh, Everyone was listening to Songs of the Auvergne. And so I bought the CD and it was summer and we we lived at that time on a little island in the Thames down uh, at Hampton. And I had all the windows open and we were in the middle of the river in this funny little house with Songs of the Auvergne playing full belt. And it was so glorious. So I only have to hear that and it takes me back to those wonderful south of Lyon. I mean, it was Tarn-et-Garonne. It was very much Provençal in that respect. But it was so heavenly and transportive and just had all the sights and sounds and smells in that music that we had in our, in our hearts. So I would love to hear that.
Jill Gomez with the Trois Bourrées from the first series of Cantaloupe's Songs from the Auvergne. Fernand Handley conducting the Royal Liverpool Philharmonic Orchestra. Music uh, chosen particularly for your husband, Patrick Carroll Boyd. Yes. It's very moving to hear about your life as a carer. People who are so often invisible, you probably want to speak out on behalf of other carers. I do. Thank you for the opportunity, Michael. Um, it's uh, it's the, this awful feelings of loneliness sometimes because, you know, as I said, I I um, keep from Patrick some of the difficulties and I don't try not to let him see me feeling depressed or whatever, but there are times when I have to leave the room and go and scream or cry or whatever mm. and I think that's something that... Once you've got it out of your system, but you're so busy not letting it come through that there's a lot of conflict going on. But, you know, funnily enough, Michael, it's rather like it's rather like theatre. It's rather like acting. Dr. Theatre takes over. And, um, you know, I've been on stage and many of my contemporaries, too, when, you know, you pick up the knife and they haven't the, the, the props person hasn't set it with the handle towards you. He set it with the blade towards you. And in the heat of the moment, you br- and blood <laughs> pours out of, the, of your hand and the audience thinks it's all part of the action. So <laughs> I've also <laughs> been beaten up on stage when uh, there was a stage fight going on and my opposing number <laughs> got rather carried away and I had cracked ribs the next day. But you you seem to... You have you have to have this self survival thing and an instinct that you are going to be okay. In the wee small hours of the morning, of course, you wake up and that's far from the way you're thinking and everything is very black, as it is for everybody in mm. any any difficult situation. And have you thought, uh, as a result of uh, his age and his illness, about that whole question of how long people do go on and guilt about feeling it even. Yes. And uh, there's the whole issue of uh, assisted dying at the moment, which you must have thought about sometimes. Patrick has been thinking about it for two or three years now and says, what can we do? And I said, well, we can't do anything at the moment. We can't afford to take you to Switzerland, darling, so (laughs) get that out of your head. (laughs) Well, there's always that rope in the garage hung over a beam, you know. (laughs) This is Patrick. He loves to play ludicrous games and it's great fun. I mean, he's a very, very funny man. He's very entertaining and he makes me hoot with laughter at least three or four times a day, which is, he said, I don't know why you're still with me. I said, because you make me laugh so much, apart from anything else. Um, I, we, yes, I mean, it is a guilt feeling and uh, I, I honestly can't answer, I can't give you a, a proper answer because there isn't one. Um, I worry about... I know he's fed up. I know he's had enough. Uh, he's not in in a state of terminal, um, you know, tragedy. He's not in, impaired to that extent where he's in agonising pain and medication is making him dopey and all that. No, he is on med- a lot of medication and he has pain, but he's a toughie, as he describes himself. I, I don't need pills, you know. Um, it's not true. He is a toughie, but 
he's had enough of being not in charge. He's tired of being not the leader, um, not the one. To, and he's always coming up with plans. He's always telling the carers what they should be doing at this point, you see. When you dry me, you've got to rub jolly hard. We're not allowed to, Patrick, because that's abuse. Just a woman Help me believe What I could be And all that I am Show me the stairway
Jeremy Irons has recorded the Psalms from the authorised version of the Bible. Today we hear Jeremy reading Psalm 115. Not unto us, O Lord, not unto us, but unto thy name give glory, for thy mercy and for thy truth's sake. Wherefore should the heathen say, Where is now their God? But our God is in the heavens. He has done whatsoever he hath pleased. Their idols are silver and gold, the work of men's hands. They have mouths, but they speak not. Eyes have they, but they see not. They have ears, but they hear not. Noses have they, but they smell not. They have hands, but they handle not. Feet have they, but they walk not. Neither speak they through their throat. They that make them are like unto them. So is every one that trusteth in them. O Israel, trust thou in the Lord. He is their help and their shield. O house of Aaron, trust in the Lord. He is their help and their shield. Ye that fear the Lord, trust in the Lord. He is their help and their shield. The Lord hath been mindful of us. He will bless us. He will bless the house of Israel. He will bless the house of Aaron. He will bless them that fear the Lord, both small and great. The Lord shall increase you more and more, you and your children. Ye are blessed of the Lord, which made heaven and earth. The heaven, even the heavens, are the Lord's. But the earth hath he given to the children of men. The dead praise not the Lord, neither any that go down into silence. But we will bless the Lord from this time forth and forevermore. Praise the Lord.
Charis Nixon has written a series of thoughts, especially for this program. Today she talks about living in a fallen world. One morning last week, I walked with a dog through the Tulimet woods. The tips of the pines were dark against the sky, the oaks and beeches just touched with the colours of autumn. The sun was shining through the leaves, a robin was piping its shrill song from a mossy fallen branch, and a roe deer bounded away from us over the crest of a hill. It was all supremely beautiful. Then we rounded a bend, and I had to grab the dog by the collar. Spread before us across the track were the bloody remains of a pheasant, obviously crushed under the wheels of a tractor. Its head lay a few feet from its body, and flies clustered on its unravelled entrails. Feeling sick, I dragged the dog past it, the beauty of the morning marred. And isn't that, I thought, typical of the fallen world we live in, where everything is jangled out of the perfect pattern God created for it? There is no beauty without lurking horror, no happiness without the shadow of pain. Depressed, I thought about the atrocities in Iraq and the Sudan, the blight and famine and disease and oppression all over the world, so much ugliness and suffering, and yet so much beauty and goodness, like the two sides of the coin of life on our fallen planet. Then into my mind came the memory of a visit we made to New York just over a year after the horror of 9-11. We went to Ground Zero, a deeply distressing experience. A display had been set up in what had been the foyer of a subway station, from which you could look out over what was then a vast building site. I had no real idea of the scale of the devastation until I saw it for myself. The display included a series of gigantic photographs taken by amateurs who happened to be there when the plane struck. You saw horror-stricken, disbelieving faces looking up at the towers. You saw men and women running in panic through the dust-choked streets. You saw the bodies falling from the doomed buildings. One of the most poignant photographs was of a young policewoman tenderly supporting one of the casualties to safety. The caption told you that the policewoman had been killed by falling masonry moments after the photograph was taken. We left the site feeling we'd looked into the face of human evil. I felt both furious anger and despair. What hope was there for humankind if such atrocities could be committed in the name of religion? Then we crossed the road and went, almost by chance, into St Paul's Chapel, directly opposite where the twin towers of the World Trade Centre used to stand. Here we found a display of a different kind. St Paul's is an old Episcopalian church, famous throughout America because George Washington worshipped there. Miraculously, when the towers collapsed, St Paul's was left untouched. As you can imagine, the moment they could, the church leaders got together to decide what to do in the midst of all the devastation. What they decided was to turn the church into a place of refuge and recovery for the rescue workers. They moved pews, brought in beds, set up kitchen facilities for mass catering. 
For eight months, hundreds of volunteers worked in the church in 12-hour shifts, round the clock, serving meals, making beds, counselling and praying with firefighters, construction workers, police and others. Because of the decision taken by the church leaders, St Paul's became the inspiration of and the focus for all those who wanted to offer help. Every day, New York restaurants, some of them renowned, sent vans full of food for the workers. Furniture stores sent beds and bedding. Schwartz & Co., the famous toy shop on Fifth Avenue, sent dozens of teddy bears for distressed men and women to cuddle. Doctors, massage therapists, chiropractors, podiatrists, all volunteered their services, and musicians came to play to them. On display boards in the chapel, was an account of all the church and the city had done. We saw photographs of the rescue workers being tended by men and women with such love on their faces. We read their testimonies. One said, When I came here, I came from hell to heaven. I found love here. Another wrote, Here, I found God. We read messages of sympathy and pledges of support from all over the world. Most moving of all were two garlands made up of origami birds of peace sent by the schoolchildren of Hiroshima and Nagasaki. Thinking of this, I suddenly found myself uplifted as I walked through the Tulimet woods. I remembered that what the contrast between the two displays had taught me was this, that evil is never the last word. Divinely inspired love and compassion and creativity had turned the horror of 9-11 into something quite different, into a message of hope for humanity. Even when the fallen world seems at its darkest and ugliest, the everlasting arms are always there, and there are always men and women reaching out in love and compassion to redeem the suffering, just as Christ himself taught them. Make me a channel of your Hatred, let me bring your love Where there is injury, your pardon, Lord And where there's doubt, true faith in you Make me a child 
Alan Sorensen is Church of Scotland Minister in Greenock. Alan is a regular contributor to Pause for Thought on Radio 2. Alan has given us permission to broadcast some of his shorter God Spots. And today he has one on sooty and prayer. When I was a wee boy, I must have been even more unbearable than I am today. You see, I used to watch sooty and shout at Matthew Corbett. Why are you talking to him? He's just a glove puppet, you know. And what about Ed the Duck and Gordon the Gopher, eh? Don't you think the presenters must have felt crazy talking to inanimate objects that would get stuck in a cupboard at the end of the day? I did. And then I discovered prayer. Yes, talking to a god you can't see. Now, at first I did feel a bit silly. And I wouldn't blame anyone for thinking I was crazy. And there isn't even the immediate response of Ed the Duck going squeak, squeak. But then, let's face it, God's never been axed from the schedules, has he? May the good Lord embarrass you with his blessings today. Toodaloo the new. sins and griefs to bear And what a privilege to carry Everything to God in prayer Oh, what peace we often forfeit Oh, what needless pain
Champion, and you reign. You. 